This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Dreamland. If you're watching this, you know I'm not Whitley Strieber, but <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll do my best. Uh, with me today is uh, a fresh face for uh, probably you and me. His, his name is Vuk. He is the host of the Tracing Owls podcast, uh, which is sort of a, he describes it as kind of a, I guess, stream of consciousness vlog type yeah, podcast audio thingy. And not really a vlog because it's not video. I don't know how you describe it. Frankly, I've botched how I, you describe it. I describe it. it as an audio photograph. I'm just recording okay. a point in time and space. So, uh, Vuk, welcome to the program and thank you for, uh, for coming live from Bosnia to us. <laughs> yeah. And thank you for having me. I was uh, surprised that I'm not talking with Whitley. Oh, yes. Well, I replaced it at the last minute. I was like, I, I got the, the cane from the side of the stage and just, I don't know if you get that reference. <laughs> oh, so this is a surprise episode for the audience and for us. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, these are, these are the jokes, folks. So uh, I want to talk to you about your spin on the Gaia theory. Um, the reason I want to talk to you is because you have a background in biology and you almost uh, make it a sort of uh, take it from a materialist perspective or base and build from there, which I, I think is interesting. Yeah. Uh, so t tell us just a little bit about your background. Okay. So I, I finished college. I finished biology with an education emphasis here in my country and I worked briefly as a biology teacher. So, you know, working as a teacher, you need to know how to um, stimulate the students and how to gain their interest because high schoolers don't care about biology and science. So you uh, assume the role of a trickster in a way, and I'd say teaching is a performance art. Hmm. So that's how I started thinking about the Gaia theory, how I would, you know, unify all of this biological curriculum for my students and how we would look for patterns to connect to everything. Okay. And the, I guess the other thing that I found interesting about you is that you had told me privately that uh, you started thinking about this paranormal stuff um, and coming to conclusions that are in the ballpark, I guess, of Jacques Vallée and John Keel before you ever read them. <laughs> yeah. And I, I found that fascinating because that's, that's, you know, I don't know if that's confirmation that they're onto something, but um, I just find it interesting that we've got to like go all the way to Bosnia <laughs> to find the one guy <laughs> who like gets it. So how did you, how did you get it before reading it? What were you reading? So I started reading about the paranormal and ufology when I was a little kid, like most of us, though I was a little kid in the, you know, uh, early 2000s. And I got into ufology back then via books and via forums and message boards on the internet. But I kind of abandoned that around high school because I was more focused on biological science and ended up, you know, studying science. Um, Due to COVID, I started a biology podcast, but what I intended with my original podcast, Darwin's Deviations, is kind of remystifying biology because science is kind of demystifying uh, the natural world. And when you need to teach students, you need to kind of remystify everything and spark their interest and intrigue. So when I started that podcast, I had the intention of remystifying nature and creating archetypes out of natural creatures and animals. I want to uh, get into that scientific demystification portion of the program later. Uh, okay. Because I, I, I find what you have to say about that fascinating mm -hmm. and true, but I, I kind of want to explore the contours of it with you. Um, maybe with subscribers after, <laughs> after the riffraff leave. No. <laughs> Whitley, don't fire me. That's a joke. Uh, no, but I, I would like to explore it later. But first, I want to get into um, the Gaia theory and why this attracted you. I mean, people talk about ghosts and aliens and cryptids and all this fun stuff. And you think to yourself, I know, Gaia theory. What, why is that? <laughs> Dreamlanders, 
Don't you move. We'll be right back after this. Have you ever read Communion? Or have you never read Communion? It's out in a new edition. Very powerful, a subtly new cover that reflects the fact that the visitors are now looking back at us because they truly are. You can get it from the unknowncountry.com store as a Kindle, as a beautiful, sumptuous paperback, or as an unabridged audiobook read by me. It's the first time in the whole life of communion that it has been read in full in audio format. And believe you me, I felt that reading. I put my life, my memories into it, and I trust you can hear it in the voice. I sure felt it while I was reading. So get communion, listen to it, read it. Communion is of central importance to all of our lives. It was the quietest, loveliest evening you could imagine. suddenly uh, a group of them are coming toward him and he gets taken outside to the back porch where he's placed on this cot that then takes him out to a clearing in the woods i remember sitting in a circle in the woods in the snow and then i suddenly went up in the air I felt like when you're going up in a fast elevator, I felt my stomach went le left behind and I see the trees going by and then I see the clouds. Then I'm in a little room just like that. It's frightening being completely conscious, not having control of your body and then being shot up into some kind of ship or room. It's nice to want trees in here. It's not kind of shoot, tell you the truth. It's not clean in here. And I kept trying to wake up because I obviously was not in bed. You know, it had to be a nightmare, right? And uh, I realized these creatures were there. They were funny looking. They were like the workers. And then there was this willowy kind of taller being with the great big black eyes he was the leader it felt like a woman to me I see the head real clearly are you old she says yes I'm old she's looking real close she put your cheek up by my face I kept trying to wake up because I thought I was having a nightmare. I'm getting real scared again. I'm real scared. Because I cannot do a thing about this. Could let me smell you. I wanted to smell him because I wanted to, I was trying to get some way of telling whether or not this was real. So this one puts his hand up against my face and it smelled like cinnamon. 
The smell of cinnamon was grounding in one sense. It made me think that I was in a real situation. In another sense, it was extremely disturbing for the same reason. The real situation I was in was very weird and very provocative with two different kinds of extremely strange looking creatures and I was physically helpless and couldn't get away. That's when they start to perform experiments on his body. Blue ones open a box and show me this needle and they're going to put the needle in my head. I, how I know that I don't know but I do and I start to say you're going to ruin a beautiful mind but they put the needle in the side of my head anyway. It makes a cracking sound, but there's no pain. I thought they were gonna cut my whole head open. Okay, so uh, I was never into the ETH, just like you, kinda. Um, so I was always gravitating towards how do we explain all this? And I was always gravitating towards the psychosocial theory, you know. Um, but as I have a biological education and as I am already um, aware of how uh, living systems are organized and how they function in all hierarchies of existence from the single cell to the whole biosphere of the planet, I'm thinking... This is all fact, you know, uh, this whole hierarchy of life forms, creating life forms on Earth. How do you fit the, the paranormal into this? And how do you make the paranormal not very anthropocentric? Because I think the whole problem with the ETH hypothesis is this sense of anthropocentrism. Yeah, they believe they're all aliens in outer space, but why would the aliens be coming to us and sending messages to us and whatnot? Uh, also, people forget that the planet is full of mysteries that are still you know, yet to be discovered, but they go looking up at the stars instead of looking at the planet they're already uh, living on. Yeah, but then also, I mean... Gaia theory, um, I don't know if it started out this way or was co-opted by sort of new agey um, anthropomorphism. It was co-opted. So, yeah. how, so how did you decide that, that you could rehabilitate that? So I, I had ideas of the Gaia theory, but I was not aware that it was a thing or that it has a name. And just for your listeners, we are not talking about Gaia, the streaming service. Uh, when we're co-opting, you know, new age stuff and uh, using the name Gaia. Uh, Lovelock, James Lovelock, who is the scientist who proposed the Gaia hypothesis, had troubles actually, you know, with credibility when he proposed the Gaia hypothesis because he used the name Gaia, a personification of, of uh, Mother Earth in a way. And science does not want anything to do with the mystical and the, the mythological. So um, he employed uh, Lynn Margulis, who was a microbiologist who helped kind of uh, insert more credibility into the theory uh, via real science because his ideas were more philosophical and there's a lack of philosophy in science. So how I decided to do this, and I need to say I, this is like honest, I am appropriating the Gaia hypothesis because it is an actual scientific theory now. It is called Earth System Science. It's a real thing. It's a fact. But I'm just trying to appropriate it to explain maybe a portion of the paranormal because you cannot fully explain the paranormal. But if it is fact that the planet Earth is a giant uh, control system and an organism composed of every organism on this planet, which are you know interacting with each other and forming these these uh, relationships, uh, then how do we fit in the paranormal you know into that? And then it opens 
brings up the question of consciousness and what is a human consciousness and is a human consciousness fully human or if we are the cells of a giant superorganism, is our consciousness a building block of a much larger consciousness? Well, let's, uh, let's hold that thread, hold that thought and uh, <laughs> shoot it to a commercial. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of minutes and I will have my thoughts on that and uh, we'll keep going. All right. This is Whitley Strieber. Listen to me now from June of 2010 talking to Alan Lammers about an incredible thing that happened to him on the island of Sulawesi in Indonesia. Here you are in South Sulawesi in the little town in the district of Sandu Batu. You were, what happened? You were told something rather strange. Well, we were told before we went, um, like my, my friends that I work with in, with the NGO, they told me that when you pack, because it kind of happened by accident, I went out to buy a raincoat. It rains quite a bit in this part of the world. And so I went out and I bought a yellow raincoat. And my friend said, I'm sorry, you can't, you can't take that to Walla Walla. And I said, well, why not? And he says, well, it's the, you can't wear that color. So anyways, excuse me. So I thought, okay, well, what colors can I wear? They, they said, well, you can only wear black or white. You cannot wear any bright colors, no bright green, especially no yellow. And, you know, that's all you should bring. And I, and I said, well, what would happen? And they said, well, uh, people disappear. You will find the rest of that story, and it is brain-bending, in the June 5th edition of Dreamland, June 5, 2010 edition of Dreamland in the unknowncountry.com archive. This archive is one of the richest of its kind in the world, probably is the richest of its kind in the world, filled with extraordinary shows, of which this show is certainly one, this show with Alan Lammers. You will never have heard anything like it. It does what Dreamland is here to do. It opens your mind to the fact that we live inside a hidden reality that we prefer not to acknowledge, but not here. Here on UnknownCountry.com, we do acknowledge it. We live in it and we love it. Subscribe today. You can't go wrong. Go to UnknownCountry.com right now and get started. Hundreds of people today phoned the ZBC saying they sighted an unidentifying flying object. was a bright radiant light. I've never seen anything like it in my life. It was the absence of noise I didn't like. People from all over Zimbabwe were phoning the BBC to say, we've seen something weird. There were three of us that saw it. Myself, the co-pilot, and the pilot in another aircraft. No wings, no nothing. Shiny over thing. Ariel School, 19th, September, 94. Could you tell me what you saw on Friday? This silver thing in amongst this clump of, of trees. We saw this black figure running. His, his face was like this, and his eyes were down here. I just thought it was some kind of alien from a different planet. When you looked at those children, they were absolutely credible. And, and whereabouts was it? In the trees over there. There was a big group of kids pointing and making a noise and shouting and screaming. The panic spread. Am I safe or am I not safe? And he's a Harvard psychiatrist. Meet Dr. John Mack, a believer in aliens from outer space. We came away convinced that an extraordinary event occurred here. I think they want people to know that we're actually making harm on this world. How did that get communicated to you? It came through my head. Somehow there was a message about pollution from the way he was staring. Yes. I was just a hard-ass journalist. I could handle war zones, but I could not handle this UFO thing. I mean, I never felt this could derail my career. The dean wanted to know, what is he doing? Angels, yes. Extraterrestrials, no. John has lost it this time. This journey 
it's literally to pick up the pieces and put them back together. Oh my gosh. I was right on the log when it actually happened. You are the ones who drew those funny pictures. Something that I'll never ever forget. I've drawn this again. But I usually kept it quiet. People think you're crazy. My husband doesn't even know about it. You feel so alone in society. Why is it that we tend to want to shrink this powerful phenomenon to our notions of reality rather than being able to stretch ourselves to expand what we know and to admit that we don't know? Would you like to see him again? Yes. And if you saw him again, what would you do? I'll ask him some questions. What would you like to ask him? I'll ask him what is he doing on Earth and what does he want with us? And we're back. Uh, so we're talking about the uh, Gaia theory with our friend Vuk. And you said that it's now sort of a scientific theory, but the scientific theory, I- I'm just going to go on an assumption here, uh, doesn't include the paranormal. Is exactly. that correct? So, exactly. They even changed the name to Earth System Science to completely remove any you know semblance of mysticism from it. But so what is it that they're keeping then? Are they just keeping the sense? I mean, we already know that ecosystems are all interlocking, interrelating systems. So so the point of the Gaia hypothesis is that the whole planet is a superorganism in a way that there is a coevolutionary bond between the living and the non-living. Living organisms, as you know, need to adapt to their surroundings. And Darwinian evolution states that you know the surroundings are like set in stone though they change but the organisms are a reaction to that and then change and adapt but per gaia hypothesis yes the organisms adapt but once they adapt and evolve into new forms they then influence the environment the environment changes as well and now the organisms need to change as well and so on and so on and so on <laughs> so it is kind of a control system, as Jacques Vallée likes to say. But when people talk about control systems, it's not like um, the conspiracy theory thing of, oh, they want to control our minds. He's talking about a cybernetic self-regulating system. Okay, so... so the whole po- point is that, you know, the planet is a self-regulating entity composed of every entity on this planet. I got that. So uh, it's an entity without a sense of self. Would that be the scientific view? Yeah, they don't want to call it an entity or an organism. They want to say that Gaia is not an organism or a superorganism, but kind of a super ecosystem, an ecosystem composed of all ecosystems. Uh, a byproduct they, wanna, of, they don't want to give it the same life or a higher sense of consciousness yeah. than, say, a scientist is the problem. Yeah, so <laughs> even in science, it is still thought of as the multicellular organism is an organism, and that's that. There's nothing above it, but you know, there are single-celled organisms. And if you look at how single-celled organisms evolved by uh, aggregating into colonies, and then every constituent of the colony needed to specialize for a certain function, once they specialized, they became dependent on the system, forming a multicellular system. So in a way, every multicellular organism is a superorganism composed of millions of smaller organisms, and so on and so on. So, so, but you're you're bringing it back very, to uh, yeah. not just the physical and not just the systems, but you're also how are you applying it to the paranormal? So I'm applying it to the paranormal. Like if we are materially organisms composing organisms composing organisms and uh, materially a self-regulating system, then surely if human consciousness is a product of evolution and natural selection. It is natural. So it did not evolve for a human purpose, but a Gaian natural purpose. So our consciousness is 
uh, an asset of the Gaian whole, we are not our own or as independent as we think, but we are rather uh, a component of the one. And as a component of the one, the one utilizes us, us for a certain function, just as Gaia would utilize, say, a swamp to regulate gases in the atmosphere. It may be utilizing us for some more uh, higher consciousness functions, or as I'd like to say, maybe a Gaian consciousness, if it exists and is you know, a part of our consciousness, is utilizing us to transcend into other dimensions of existence, from a material to a more abstract, imaginal existence. Uh, to what end? So, I mean, this is not something that I'm totally married to. I'm just putting out ideas, obviously. But uh, if you want to fit the mystical and the ethereal and the non-material into science, you need to use science as a baseline and try and see how everything else fits in. And I don't know, for me, like, there is already something called a collective unconsciousness, and we all share the collective unconsciousness as we are all humans. It is an essential part of the human condition. So what if this Collective consciousness is a part of a Gaian consciousness. And what if that Gaian consciousness may be communicating with us? I don't know intentionally or unintentionally. I don't know if it is intelligent or not, or if it is just an uh, ingrained framework of our minds. But as our minds are a product of a super entity that is the product of two billion years of evolution of life on this earth, then surely, you know, our uh, mental psychological framework is a product of this guy in consciousness, if it exists. So does this include like uh, people who take quote unquote shamanic journeys or, um, you know, hallucinogenic medicine trips, um, would that be, you know, when you t take ayahuasca and you meet the ayahuascan goddess and it appears as a snake and that snake just wants to wrap itself around you and talk to you about your yeah. own psychological baggage, would that be Gaia in disguise too? Well, I don't know if it would be Gaia or if it would be us uh, personifying something via archetypes and symbols. As you liked to say on Paratopia, like uh, our us uh, communicating with ourselves and the oneness, um, I, I I don't know. There, there is still no way to determine if there is a guy in consciousness or not. Yeah, because I, I I think um, we gotta sort of wonder if if there's a uh, an Earth consciousness that is communicating with us we are of earth and we are with earth and we're on earth. So why, why isn't there just a direct link, a direct doing sort of a reflexive uh, direct action. interface as you. Yeah. Think. As opposed to all of this sort of circuitous stuff well, that you kind of have to figure okay. out. Think of it like this. Is there a direct interface between you and a single lung cell of your body? And do you ever feel how a single cell of your body feels, or do you just feel the accumulated whole? Probably just feel the accumulate. Well, in that case, the accumulated whole, sure. But as an organ, if something goes wrong, I feel it. Yeah, but the organ is then the interface. The organ is the entity communicating directly with the cell, and you're con communicating not with the organ, but the organ system, let's say. So it's a whole hierarchy of uh, closed biological systems, which compose so one another. So essentially we're saying that there is sort of an ethereal or formless um, uh, mirror image or something, you know, it, it works the same fractally. It's the same workings um, as the physical, that there's this overlay of a non-physical ecology of archetypes and entities and that sort of thing, essentially the way that there are organs yeah, in the body. A hierarchical um, ecology 
of consciousnesses, let's say, but it's not a human consciousness. I mean, I can say a guy in consciousness, but that guy in consciousness lives for eons and we live for years. Our perceptions of time are totally different, you know? And when people want to talk about aliens, they they like to say now interdimensionals or ultra-terrestrials, but never really like to go into what does that mean? And are interdimensionals like parallel dimensions or can interdimensionals be entities uh, existing on different planes of material reality and on different perceptions of time. Well, I, I like, I'd I, say, I'd say a single celled organism exists on a different plane of reality than a multi-cell organism, than say a Gaia, than say a cosmos. Yeah. I sort of toyed with this in the last book I wrote and uh, definitely in this book, um, the idea of interdimensional beings who you know, they share the same dimensions. Like if we're three dimensional or four dimensional or whatever dimensional we really are, uh, then there are other dimensions. There are other configurations of dimension that we're also sort of attached to, but are invisible to us. And are there beings that are inhabiting that? And are those beings also us? They're themselves, but they're us. So here's something very interesting. Lynn Margulis, who I said uh, formulated the Gaia hypothesis with Lovelock, she is legit. She was a legit microbiologist. She is well known for uh, postulating the endosymbiotic theory, which states that eukaryotic cells evolved because they uh, started to live in a symbiotic relationship with bacteria. And mitochondria in cells are actually remnants of ancestral bacteria which lived inside of cells. So essentially, we now have millions of cells within us, but every one of our cells has hundreds of remnants of other organisms which lived inside of them. So we are, in a way, a collective consciousness of different organisms not just uh, of our species, but of residents of our bodies and, you know, of the microflora of, of our inner and outer body, let's say. See, it's interesting because when I think of it this way, I mean, to me, this is all uh, one consciousness manifesting as many things and we're one of those many things. And so we're looking back at it. You know what I mean? Like we're trying to trace back, but it's all going to end up being right. We're all just one. Yeah. (laughs) You know, we're all just one. But uh, since we are alive and have to live individuated separate self senses, um, I guess it would behoove us to know how to even maneuver around the world in this way. And so when we're talking about um, Gaia theory, applying it to paranormal phenomena, uh, how is there a way, have you thought of, is there a way to know the difference between that and something else, like even mental illness or that and um, something else that might be trying to communicate with us? I heard you say on a podcast that the difference between paranormal and mental illness is with the paranormal, you actually get answers, which means something. <laughs> So I think the point of a paranormal experience, as I see it, like I'm not an expert. I'm just, you know, a guy doing an indie podcast and sharing ideas. Maybe I'm not right. Maybe somebody hears what I have to say and formulates it much better than me. I see the paranormal as having maybe uh, a purpose to spark creativity or intrigue or to entice us. So I see, like, if somebody sees a UFO in the sky, something communicating with us, be it a Gaian entity or something else, the other is enticing us to look further. Uh, We react to liminal spaces by conjuring these images or manifestations of paranormal entities, let's say. Um, I don't know why. In historic times, we had many more liminal spaces than now. Now that we have uh, covered the planet in concrete, we are being enticed to look up in the sky. I don't know if it's a Gaian entity. Maybe that Gaian entity wants to entice us to leave the planet. Maybe that Gaian entity wants to use us as vectors of panspermia because every, you know, living organism 
needs they... to reproduce other hmm. planets. But okay, that's you... all, you know, speculation. You cut out there, but I, I think I, I cut the gist of it. Um, so, but I, I do think that there is a limit that you can put on it. Um, like, for instance, I don't think that if if we're still sort of a cancerist, consumerist, capitalist, go down the list, um, westernized world, living a partial sense of self and calling that just human nature, we just go to yeah. war, that's human nature, and never, never really understanding what it is to be a human being in fullness. I don't think Gaia wants to panspermia that. <laughs> you know, well, I don't think Gaia wants to, uh, us to go pollinate with that. It doesn't want to pollinate, but it wants to use us as vectors. Wherever you go, you're carrying germs with you, and germs are the essence of life and the essence of Gaia. The point of Gaia is... I don't is know that that answers it. <laughs> I'm not buying that. I'm not buying that as an answer, because uh, I don't think that there i don't know what would be important about sending um well for instance like if we go to mars say elon mm -hmm. musk's dream comes true and we for some reason can't figure out how to terraform earth but we can, we can terraform mars and go live there mm -hmm. we're going to start wars we're going to pollute we're going to keep moving on that way because the problem isn't that we haven't learned how to be different. The problem is that our very sense of being is incomplete and that we keep looking toward futures and evolution and forward and blah, blah, blah. And we think that, that that's what we're supposed to do, but that linear thinking is actually driven by the whole inside, always looking for more. And yeah. we've got all the evidence we need with the spiritual people <laughs> from the ages and the ayahuasca goddess and whoever else saying, just take a time out. If you shut up for a minute, if you stop thought, not keep progressing thought, something else occurs, something else happens within you. Um, so I, I would think that if we're not ever going to do that, if we're always going to chase it, um, that's not something worth unleashing on the universe. Well, evolution does not work in such, you know, intelligent directed ways. It's just organisms adapting to the current conditions of life. Um, I know the, the eco disaster we're putting up on the earth sounds like a very bad thing. And why would a guy in consciousness want that? But we forget that there were many different um, uh, mass extinction events even in the beginning of uh, life's evolution, when everything was a single cell, there was a moment when um, organisms started utilizing uh, photosynthesis and then creating more and more oxygen. And the more oxygen there was accumulated, the more organisms died out because they were anaerobic. And this led to the extinction of 99% of life on Earth. And then the aerobic organisms thrived and Gaia just went another evolutionary way and so on and so on. So it's not linear. It's more like uh, you work with what you have. By now, Gaia has many tools at her disposal evolutionarily with all the different forms of life on Earth um, and utilizing us as a conscious being However, it can utilize us in this moment in time and space. So do we, I mean, personally, I could see Gaia just going flick and flicking us off the earth more than yeah. shooting us off into space. Because um, again, the shooting us off into space thing to me is just the scientific materialist version of going to heaven. You know, we'll, yeah. we'll just create heaven out there. That'll be our ego. Yeah, but, but that, that's a psychological adaptation in our minds to entice us to do that. We think it's for yes. our purpose, but it's for some other purpose. Okay, see, this is where we're getting, now we're getting to something, because I think that's true, but not because it's for another purpose. I think it's the purpose of the separate, separative mind. I don't think nature cultures who already do see themselves interrelated and interlocking with everything, they don't think that way. They don't, they don't even yeah. have words for that stuff. Um, so isn't that actually closer to what, I mean, being natural is? Yes, it is. But what do you do when 
a population evolves as a cancer on earth and then spreads you need to adapt you go, with the current conditions <laughs> see you later yeah. people I, I love that ice idea. age bye that, that is a very <laughs> that is a very keelian pessimistic idea I, I love that but i i can only speculate on it uh, okay well uh let me see here i had some questions oh you know what maybe you will uh i don't know I'm like the god of podcasting right now, right? Like, I can do anything. Let's go to commercial. <laughs> UnknownCountry.com subscribers have access to a vast treasury of information. Listen to what Dr. Robert Schock said. He's an expert on the past. And for that reason, he also knows a great deal about the future. We are re-entering, as you say, a debris field. And when you have a debris field like this, it enters the solar system, it energizes the solar system as you have things um, going into the sun, even clouds of dust particles, for instance, it will energize the sun, it will destabilize the sun. This is what we saw at the end of the last ice age in approximate terms about 13,000 years ago. And just in the past few days, more enormous meteors have been sighted and this goes on continuously, more and more every year. We live in a time of great change in a world that doesn't like to look at things as they are. UnknownCountry.com offers extraordinary information, a vast archive that you cannot find anywhere else. Subscribe today help keep this website going because without you there is and can be no us go to unknowncountry.com right now click on the subscribe tab get started have you ever read communion or have you never read communion it's out in a new edition very powerful a subtly new cover that reflects the fact that the visitors are now looking back at us because they truly are. You can get it from the unknowncountry.com store as a Kindle, as a beautiful sumptuous paperback, or as an unabridged audiobook read by me. It's the first time in the whole life of communion that it has been read in full in audio format. And believe you me, I felt that reading. I put my life, my memories into it. And I trust you can hear it in the voice. I sure felt it while I was reading. So get communion. Listen to it. Read it. Communion is of central importance to all of our lives. And we're back with Vuk, and we are discussing Gaia theory. And uh, I have uh, one more. I actually, I don't really usually write down questions because mm -hmm. um, I'm lazy. But for you, uh, I have a couple written down. And what I say here, um, I, I heard you on, uh, yeah, one of your shows talking about how it's possible that there were gods, but that okay. they may have disappeared when they were written down. Uh, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Okay. <laughs> just to say, like, I come up with theories. I'm not married to any theory. I just like the philosophy of it. So what if, let's say, gods existed, these pantheons, uh, as whatever you want them to exist as. But uh, these entities these ethereal entities have an innate need to manifest, to show themselves to us and to transcend from a chaotic entropic existence into something that has much more gravity to it, much more mass. Um, and what if they are utilizing our consciousness and the collective whole of our psyches and so sociology to transcend from this existence to maybe a form of existence as a 
cultural idea or concept. So I love the idea of entities being concepts, not just uh, physical, biological entities or spiritual entities, but living concepts and ideas. Um, so the we would be, let's say, the translator of uh, this chaotic existence of these beings to a more, uh, let's say, uh, formulated existence by writing them down, or what we do now with science, uh, solidifying the universe into a material state, let's say. So would this apply to Gaia? Like if you wrote a book on, on all of this, um, would she immediately be dead or irrelevant because you wrote a book? No, because Gaia already has a material existence. Is Gaia paranormal? No. <laughs> is anything paranormal? I, I think like paranormal is a quality of the human. It's an essential part of what it is to be a human, but not an essential part of what it is to be a tree or a fungus or maybe... You know, fungus and trees have these mycorrhizal communities and communicate with each other. Maybe they have their own mythologies we are not aware of. Do you include uh, the sun or other planets or stars or any, any of that um, in Gaia theory? Like, do they all communicate? That's way beyond the scope of what, what I can say. I do think if Gaia theory is correct, I mean, it is correct. If the planet Earth is a superorganism, then surely there are other superorganisms composed of other superorganisms. Maybe, you know, is a cosmic amoeba of galaxies, and maybe atoms are galaxies of some other universes, you know. But that's way beyond our radius of perception. Hmm. Um, I want to go back to. Gaia, like how, how scientists then can maintain that there is a super organism without super consciousness. Yeah, that, that's the very tricky part. They say it is a self-regulating control system. It is a self-regulating control system. How is that different than just noting ecosystems? I mean, just they're just saying, yeah, well, exactly. all these ecosystems are on one earth, therefore... It's a giant mega system. Like that just seems like duh. Yeah. Yeah. So essentially it is very hard in science to define what life is. Like when I was in college, we were defining life as everything that has a cell. Oh, okay. But then an ecosystem kind of is an organism, but is not composed of a cell, but is composed of many organisms. So we try to define it as something that establishes a metabolism. And if you define it like that, then everything that has a metabolism within it is a living organism. And ecosystems establish metabolisms via, you know, circulation of matter, flow of energy via food chains. And a self-regulating control system is a metabolism but a much, a much higher scale metabolism than, say, a physiological metabolism of our bodies. Hmm. So here's a question that's like completely out of left field for you. Uh, okay. I, I don't know. I know you've listened to some Paratopia stuff, but I don't know if you're mm -hmm. familiar with my, you know, I hate even saying my, but this I am experience, the seeing and being nothingness exploding into everythingness. Are you familiar with that at all? I am familiar uh, as I usually can experience that. You mean the losing of self and ego? No, I mean, literally, uh, I had an experience of... Um, uh, Oneness. Again, going from one, unconsciousness. No, I mean, it was very... Uh -huh. It wasn't just a feeling. It was a visual and a feeling and the whole thing. But one of the things that I experienced during this, whatever, you know, the big I am experiences was of being the sun. Uh, and it seemed as though the sun was alive. It seemed or whatever, the star was alive and was just mm -hmm. happy to give light and life to the nearest rock that could handle it. But it also seemed as though all of these stars are alive and in communication with each other. Like they all know about each other. They're all in communication with each other. Yeah, And 
I'm just wondering because you said, you know, there's no way that that we can know. And scientifically, it seems like, well, <laughs> for but, now, and it seems like that that like to say that, like I know that saying that sounds like an anthropomorphization or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm stuck on this word anthropomorphizing. Is this a real? I know it's a thing to an extent, but isn't it also like a cop out for science to not have to um, understand? not just the interconnecting nature of everything, but that like there is something about consciousness where, yeah, the forms can be different, but consciousness kind of does have a ceiling and we can all relate to each other because we are all of each other, you know? Mm -hmm. So in some ways, I mean, this is why you can relate to an ant (laughs) observing it long enough or your pet dog or anything, like anything, anything. And uh, I don't know. It just seems like um, to experience the interiority of another being that is the sun, which is foreign to me, but familiar enough for me to be able to describe it and feel it and understand it in that way. Um, Isn't there something about the interiority or the internal of us all, like you had mentioned the collective consciousness, but of everything that we, that it's not so convoluted and confusing. It actually, we are all of each other. It is us in some sense. Yeah. And and so, yeah, go ahead. You interviewed a few people from Native American tribes. I listened to that. I was very touched by that and how they perceive it, this whole oneness and connection to everything. Um, I, I get what you're trying to say, but I don't know how we would define that scientifically. I do believe there is something, you know. I do believe there is some well, kind of uh, collective consciousness that we can tap into regardless of what species we are and what entity we are. But how, how do you prove that if you, if you want to prove it? I don't want to prove it. I don't care about that. Uh, well, not even proving uh, it, but just like, just like thinking about it. Uh, and I'll probably, you'll be my second guest on this show, and I'll probably have talked about this with my first guest on this show too. Okay. So this will be a little bit of a retread, even though I'm recording this second, recording this first. You're my first re- recorded interview. Um, but the idea that, that native cultures practice animism, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I'll just take even Hawaii, for instance, you know, where rocks can have spirits and um, Amakua, which is your sort of ancestors who come in the form of animals or rocks and are guardians, all that. I mean, like, even Japanese with the yokai and the kami. Okay. So the, but the scientific sort of materialist answer to that is, oh, isn't that cute? Pat you on the head. Uh, yeah, that's what children do, except that somehow these cultures were able to like lace up their moccasins and, you know, survive for thousands of years with their crazy child logic. Isn't there actually like to me that probably comes from observation, like legit you're in it observation of another being, which you know to be a rock or an animal or whatever and understanding them um, and, and, being interrelated with them internally differently than we are, but also just observing them and their behavior and things like that. And as opposed you want to say, well, wait, let me, let me just observing this. directly. Yeah. As opposed rather to, than indirectly via a lab. <laughs> well, do you think that, that the, the, anim, you know, when we talk about, um, you know, animism, isn't that more like the people who go on vacation and want to pet a buffalo or they want to pet some wild animal and they get videotaped getting their arm chewed off or getting bucked by a bull or something like isn't that what it is when you think that an animal is just like you and so you should cuddle it would that be like more of an example of animism than living in a in a culture in the woods or out in nature and fully understanding something and therefore understanding that it has a personality and its own sense of being I don't view animism like that because I'm not American. I don't have a cultural, you know, history of treating animism as as such a thing. Well, that's um, interesting. I hadn't even thought about that, but yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. okay, well, what is it in Bosnia then? Okay, so we used to be animists until the 7th century. And we, we used to be pagans until we were massively Christianized. Um, and then all our paganistic history was destroyed systematically so we don't know much about our origins but we do not have a cultural history of coming into contact with 
what Americans would think are indigenous people or, or lesser cultures, because the Western interpretation of animism is like the most primitive belief system. But I, I, that's why I mentioned Jap Japan, because the Japanese religion Shinto is animistic. And yet they managed to be a very advanced, developed society hmm. with a completely different view of animism and a more positive one. So how uh, related do you feel, as opposed to the average Bosnian, toward that background? Like, have you, has Bosnia been completely westernized or no? No, it is still not westernized. Like we're, we're in a liminal space between Western and Eastern because we are Slavs. So we will always be tied to Russia and that ideology, but we are becoming westernized. Um, we are also Orthodox Christians where I live because I'm a Serb, um, which is much more in tune with the paganistic ways than say Catholicism or Protestant Christianity. Does it do you do you see a difference um, between those two mentalities, like in how you treat each other and how you treat Earth? Uh, there, there is a difference between it is not because it is not as centralized and organized Orthodox Christianity compared to say Catholicism, um, and we are not as. Um, Bible savvy, let's say we don't look at the Bible at every word, what it says, and take it for granted. It's more like community and and um, f familial relations, let's say. Hmm. Huh. So do you have deities that you worship and that sort of stuff? Like, is that still, it's, would you see statues and parks and things like this? It's still, it's still Jesus Christ and Orthodox Christianity. It's just, um, we adapted Christianity from the Byzantine Empire instead of the Roman Empire. Hmm. When Christianity came, did they put their stink on uh, yeah. Yeah. sacred spots and things like that? Did they build churches on sacred spots and say, oh, look, Marian visions and things like this? Uh, pr probably, yeah, because the, we don't know much about our history. Much of our history is based on epic poetry. And uh, much of our history was in uh, bloody wars, which we lost. But in losing them, we made epic po poetry of, oh, we showed them that we were slaughtered. Um, especially before Christianization, we have nothing. Everything was systematically destroyed. There is a movement called Rodoviary, uh, which exists in all Slavic countries where people are trying to create a neo-paganistic a religious or belief system based on the old uh, paganistic days of the old Slavs. Hmm. Well, I, I guess I'm even thinking more literally like, um, gosh, I'm going to forget, but somewhere it's in New Mexico and probably also in Mexico. You know, there are places where the church puts the church down mm -hmm. and then suddenly Mary appears to people. And then, you know, we get that this. Is we have a bit of that, but that may be more Croatian because I'm Serbian. I don't know. Our country is very complicated. Like you heard of the Bosnian War in the 90s. Mm -hmm. We have three ethnic groups that hate each other, and that's why we were at war. We have three presidents in my country because wow. to end the war, uh, a treaty was signed where all three constituent um ethnic groups will have a representative. So we have three presidents. Um, uh, the Marian visitations are more a Catholic thing. It's not a thing in Orthodox Christianity. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. Cause I, I, I'm trying to figure out whether those visions are like something that's made up by the church or if, if it's uh, literally what it is, or if it's that there's, um, you know, and uh, power of the place and entity of the place that gets misinterpreted that way or on purpose. I, I have an idea that I shared on a few podcasts relating to Gaia theory and that. So like, what if people are seeing Marian visitations or aliens uh, spreading these messages of uh, eco-friendliness and stopping wars and peace and whatever, because a Gaian entity is communicating to us via these projections, like, 
uh, you would uh, perform a puppet uh, stage play to little children. Right. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I guess I, I, I can go with that. <laughs> I, I, I try to, I mean, I apply it to like the interdimensional thing, but I could see that too. Um, I mean, I mean, if, in I mean, fact, if, the, if there is like an archetypal level to us, you know, the collective unconscious and the archetypal level, okay. there might be multiple beings that know to speak to us through those puppets, you know, or through those masks that that's to touch us on the unconscious level is to touch the actual part that motivates us and works in the world. And because we all know yeah. that the, I am still on the fence of whether the paranormal is from within or from without the source of the paranormal. So I don't know if the paranormal is from us and we are manifesting and projecting it like egregores or tulpas, let's say, or if it is a force out there that is communicating with us and co-creating with us. I'm still on the fence with that. Right. Well, this gets me to probably my final set of questions for uh, non-subscribers with you, which is, Okay, if this is uh, Gaia, or if this is even us talking to ourselves, however that works, what do you do with trace cases in ufology or whatever the data is that ghost hunters collect? Um, I mean, and I guess you could even ask the question this way, like, does putting a radar on a UFO, whatever the UFO actually is, Mm -hmm. change the nature of it uh, into something tangible? Well, that... That's why I am on the fence because I was always on of the psychosocial uh, hypothesis, but there is a phys- physicality to some phenomena. So I don't know. Is it something from without manifesting or do we have, I don't know, psychokinetic abilities or whatnot? <laughs> it's just speculation. I don't, I'm not married to any of those ideas, but if there is a physicality, then there is some form of manifestation. Yeah. And I just want to say, you know, because you've brought this up a few times that you're not married to these ideas and all that. Mm-hmm. Me neither. You know, like, I think it's, I th- I think if, if this, sh- me on this show, I'll say that if my portion of Dreamland has, can do anything, it's just simply to get us thinking in different ways, but to show us what that means first. Like, a lot of people just think that believing that aliens exist at all uh, and are here or whatever, that that is deep enough, right? Like that's the deep thing because it's different than what the mainstream believes. That's not deep enough. The quality of mind applying itself to these questions and these phenomena, I think has to be a little bit deeper than that. So I'm hoping to expose people to what that could mean. And so you're helping. So, uh, <laughs> Keel, Thank you. Keel wrote famously that belief is the enemy. And I see that as if we are believing, we are uh, filling up the wardrobe of whatever uh, outfit this thing can choose to wear. We will leave it on that uh, for, I guess, the YouTube crowd, the, the podcast crowd. For subscribers, we're going to get a glass of water and keep going. <laughs> Thank you, Vuk, for uh, for doing this, and um, we will have links uh, in the show description. But if you want to just tell us um, quickly as well where people can listen to your um, Tracing Owls podcast. Okay, so wherever you're listening to this, except on YouTube, Tracing Owls, that's the name of the podcast. And of social media, I only use Instagram, Tracing Owls. You can find me there. Awesome. Thank you so much. No problem. All right, everyone, that'll do it for this edition of Dreamland. Whitley will be back next week. Uh, I want to thank Vuk for sharing his time and his wisdom with us. Please do check out his podcast, Tracing Owls, in the link provided in the show description. And I'll see you back here in about a month. Of course, if you want to subscribe to Dreamland, uh, head on over to unknowncountry.com and do that. And um, then you don't have to wait a month. In fact, uh, you don't even have to go contact Vuk anywhere. You can just listen to us carry on this conversation. You can get all of all the dreamlands and all of the unique content that Whitley has in store for you at unknowncountry.com for a pittance. Highly suggest you do so. If you like what you heard here, you're going to hear more of it. And I want your input. Please email me. 
jeremy at unknowncountry.com and tell me uh, the types of topics or maybe even guest suggestions you have um, for this show. I'm thinking about doing uh, live shows from a cafe maybe at some point around the, the island I live on. Um, tell me if that appeals to you. Tell me if it doesn't. Tell me. All right, take care. You've been listening to Dreamland. Be sure to tune in again next week. Dreamland is brought to you by UnknownCountry.com and its family of subscribers. Our theme music is The O of Pleasure by Ray Lynch. Unknown Country was founded by Ann Streber. Our news editor is Matthew Frizzell. Our coordinator is Amy Safrankova. Whitley Streber is your Dreamland host. And I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander.